millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Ray Dalio, George Soros, the Rockefellers. They are billionaires. They have all the money they can ever hope to spend. They are also all investing in cryptocurrencies. Yes, even the richest in the world choose to invest in the future through cryptocurrencies. Just as when there's big talk about cryptos being volatile, the latest market dip being permanent, and the government cracking down on crypto and other issues, billionaires are buying in. Why? Because cryptocurrency is the future, and the best time to invest is when there's a dip. The deeper the dip the higher the gains. So if you want to invest in the future, start now and start with my digital money. With my digital money, you don't just get the opportunity to invest. You get the security of knowing you're investing with a U.S.-based company that offers end-to-end service when you want it. So go to MyDigitalMoney.com. All right, folks, I'm joined once again from who I like to call Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, Cliff High. <laughs> uh, man, I appreciate you coming on, Cliff. There's a lot to talk about, and we we're we're here in 2022. Um, like I've told everyone, I think this is going to be a nuclear winter. Um, you've actually agreed with me on that, right? It's well, it depends on how you want to defend it. I don't like using or, or define it. I don't like using that term. Uh, I understand what you're saying. It's going to be emotionally loaded. I would agree with you. That, right? That's what I mean. I don't mean yeah. like nuclear war. I'm saying like. Yeah, like see, there's, going... there's the problem is that that we are in a war, so we've right. got to understand. You know, it could escalate to that. Right, and 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 I'm going to read this to you from. Uh, and I know you did you did a uh, show with Patel Patriot, correct? Yeah, about devolution, and yeah, you know, I spoke to Juan about that. He says, "Man, that's just this kid is just you know amazing. The whole it's not even a theory; it's actually a component of the plan." But he said that. uh it holds a lot of water, but this is his quote, and I have Juan's quote here. Devolution is a component, but it's one of the options. The options all look similar. It's like a football game. A team has multiple plays. The concept of devolution is fabulous, but it's still an option play. We are in a, continuing, a continuity in government moment. We've suffered a digital attack. We are fighting back in, in a situation where we have captured operations, uh, operations within our government. Anyone who thinks Biden or Pelosi is in control, then close Gitmo. There are safeties in place. People ask, what's the delay? We need the population to understand what's happening. There are absolutely going to be casualties of war. I agree. No question. So he's not saying devolution is wrong. He's agreeing with it. He's just saying there's actually safeties in place where devolution is part of the process, I guess. 
Well, here's the thing. Okay, so my encounter with devolution was as a um, uh, theory supporting the idea, which was new at the time, of continuity of government. Okay, continuity of government was something that originated in like the late 40s, early 50s. And so uh, devolution was simply a method for, or one of the methods that continuity of government might might uh, come about. But basically, it was a theoretical uh, category kind of understanding. Because bear in mind, if the U.S. had been attacked, in, in my day and age, they would have these duck and cover drills when you were a little kid, right? And you duck under your school desk as though that would protect you from a nuclear bomb going off just down the road. But, but it, was, it was that kind of goofy situation. But had we been attacked with nuclear weapons, it would have instantly led to devolution in order to support continuity of government. See, so that's just the application of that term. And it would have had nothing to do with what we're currently in. It wouldn't have, wouldn't have resembled what we're currently in at all. So I think of that word in a much broader sense. I don't think of it as a, um, a strict protocol. And so what uh, Patel Patriot is doing is he has... Um, uh, got the he's like trying to provide the supporting building blocks in order that we might see a structure. Uh, he's not attempting to uh, discard things in order to build a particular structure, right? So he's using a, he uses the term devolution in a general sense the same way I do. You have to devolve from your your uh, traditional government to a continuity of government state. That act is devolution. How you do it and what you do it depends on what causes that devolution, right? Right, and and and, and that's what we're in right now. The Congress, the Supreme Court, the, the presidency is all a captured operation. So that's why, and you know, I agree with Patel Patriot 100%. I'm just saying that Juan wanted to add more to the, yeah. to the add more of the ingredients to the recipe, I guess. I, I don't know, he's saying that, it's like a football team, an NFL football team. They have multiple plays going at, you know, that they choose from. But devolution is the, the broader sense of all of this, I guess. I mean, that's what he's saying. Um, but how's your data? I mean, are you able to look at data anymore or is it completely gone bunk because of the censorship? Is, is there any? Uh, so, okay. So I get numerics. Uh, because the emotional components of language don't change, all right? So uh, certain language has high emotional values and so on, and we continue to use that uh, sort of language all the time. So I get these um, building and, and uh, release tension values, uh, but I am not getting an accurate uh, set of linguistics attached to those relative to the sets. So I, I get the I get a spike saying, oh, we're going to have a big emotional uh, something occur around January 22nd, and it'll last for a number of days. But other than a few scattered bits and pieces here and there that, that I think are reasonably reliable, I don't rely on any of it because of the censorship. Yeah, I got you. And, and, and that was going to bring me to my next question, because Juan actually had a question for you. I just spoke to him today on the phone. I have his interview after yours. And um, I was like, hey, I'm going on with Cliff High. Is there any questions you, you want me to ask, Cliff? Um, and I'll read this for you. Before this is all over, we're going to have something like the Cuban Missile Crisis. He's saying that some kind of event is going to happen. We certainly had the Zero Hedge article stating that something like the Cuban Missile Crisis is happening in the Ukraine. The Russians are saying, well, the Russians are saying the Ukraine. Where do you believe the crisis will actually occur related to who's actually in charge of the U.S. nuclear operation. 
So that's what's going to like trans something of some kind of Cuban Missile Crisis needs to transpire to where we see who's really in charge of the nuclear operation in America. And he's saying there's conflict in Taiwan, the Mideast, and Ukraine. What does your data show? What is your data showing? Okay, so so if I had to uh, pick a location, which is just dodgy as hell, guy, absolutely okay. dodgy okay. as hell. I understand. Okay, okay, I would say at that corner of the planet where we get the uh, joining of Kashmir with India, China, and Tibet, Nepal, that region right there. Okay, the Hindu Kush area. Um, Okay, so that's where I think we're most likely to spark. Uh, all right, the emotional values and the little tiny bits of data that I get uh, suggest that it, it, in order of occurrence, it would be there and then Taiwan and then someplace north of China. But China is going to be central to it. So um, that's just what we're going to end up with. I suspect that we'll get some kind of a, um, a skirmish between the, the People's Liberation Army of China on their side of the border and the Indian troops on their side of the border. And that'll escalate to the point where those two nations are uh, ready to go at it with each other. Uh, how real that will be, I don't know. The Hindus, uh, it's awful hard to push on them because they get instantly hard. And so they don't react the way other cultures do. But I suspect they're more than any of the more obvious places. You know, no one was looking at Cuba when the Cuban Missile Crisis occurred, right? Right. So in that sense, we're not looking to where it will arise. Got you. So, but we could be pretty confident in your opinion. You know, I know we don't have a crystal ball, but I would say we're pretty confident that 2022, one of the, a conflict is going to arise, wouldn't you say? We're already in a conflict. So, well, I mean, like so a, it's going to be hypertension, like in... in, in Taiwan. I mean, so I, I always yeah, say I okay. say Taiwan. Uh, China is going to make a move on Taiwan uh, this year. Sure, is what I sure. think. They, okay, and they probably would would like that to some extent. Uh, but see, if you get into the minutia and you start start thinking about what's their motivation and so on, you get one set of uh, conclusions that are not in line with a with the broad brush. So if we say China wants to take over Taiwan, they keep threatening and so on. We say, well, why the hell haven't they done it? There's been dozens of opportunities in the last 20 years, and they could have done it a lot easier then. And it's because they don't want to do it, right? Um, it's a problem for them. So they, it's the same kind of problem that they faced with Hong Kong, only they were obligated to deal with Hong Kong at that time because it was the expiration of the contract between the British government and the Chinese government in 1999 that turned Hong Kong back to them. And Hong Kong has been nothing but a pain in the ass to China ever since. They used to have a nice cooperative relationship where Hong Kong laundered all this money for China. Now that China is in charge of Hong Kong, they've got all of the, the riots, the freedom stuff, all of their money thing went to hell. They've got a new population that's caused them more problems than the, the other populations they're trying to suppress. So do they want to take on another population like Taiwan with this time with guns and, and bullets and stuff? No, I think personally, I think it's a lot of bluster. I think that it is good for the Chinese to have Taiwan there such that the CCP can always stand up and, and rally the troops. We're going to go take back Taiwan. And then they plan and plan and plan and it never happens. Right. And so well, they, they run military exercises. Why would they even be doing that just to, for intimidation purposes? 
No, well, okay, so for intimidation purposes, so lots of reasons, okay, so there's never just one reason. For intimidation purposes, to send a message to us, to send messages to people in Africa that we're strong, China can dominate, blah, 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 all of these kind of things, because the Belt and Road Initiative in Africa is going all to hell. And, and so there's many different agendas going on, but none of them actually would necessarily lead to an invasion. Bear in mind that here's the thing. The PLA, the People's Liberation Army, has not been tested in modern times, all right? Um, we lost 50,000-plus Americans in Vietnam, and, we had, and then we had the uh, Gulf War tests, and so we've got troops that are reasonably battle-hardened, okay? China does not. They have riot police, and that's basically it. Uh, so uh, the PLA is not working out the way that the, the CCP wants. The CCP does not control the People's Liberation Army. They, they nominally tell them what to do the same way Biden nominally tells our military what to do. And sometimes the PLA does it, right? But the PLA, in their last encounter with the Indian troops, where the PLA was armed with sticks with nails through them and all this kind of thing, and the, and the Indian troops had nothing. They were surprised. The Indian troops got uh, initially pushed over a cliff, and a lot of them died. And then when the Indian troops came back, they just cleaned the floor with the, uh, with the PLA, right? And so it has gotten so bad for the Chinese that they can't trust their own soldiers to patrol in Tibet. So they've had to put in, put in machine gun-loaded drones and put them in control of people way the hell back somewhere, right? So this is a sign of the weakness of China, because those kind of strategies mean you can't control, you don't trust your own people, and all of those things are essentially weak, all the technology, right? A good grenade with um, uh, sufficient um, electrical uh, capacitors around it could take out dozens of those drones in a little mini EMP. So wow. there's, there's all the different kinds of ways to disable such things. The Chinese know it, but it means that, that they're forced to do it. Here, so look at it this way, Guy. The Chinese army is so strong and the CCP is so much in control of them. And they've got an army with 200 million men, 200 million men, two thirds of our population is in their army. And, and they've got to put robots and drones in little tiny Tibet. Yeah. So, so they're not as strong as, as they would have you believe. Right. And so they, they know Sun Tzu, they practice deception and so they want to win without fighting. That's the same way that our globalists want to do it. They want to win without fighting through intimidation to force you to take uh, stuff you don't want. And, uh, but they have no legal authority to do it. And if you simply stand up and say, no, they can't do anything to you. Uh, and you will win if you get into a court case with them. Uh, but they're trying to do it just by bluster, by saying we're all powerful. Oz, propaganda. Powerful. Well, they own exactly. all of the... Exactly. They own all the propaganda, so that's that's another tool they're using is the propaganda Hollywood. Uh, that's you know, their only tool, actually. If you look at it, they only have that. The globalist CCP has weapons, but so so here's what's happening. Okay, going to Juan's point. All right, so I don't think of us being in devolution the way that Patel does. Patel thinks of it, I think, as like a protocol. And I, you know, like uh, the military is going to do this and then they're going to do that. And so I know having been uh, in the military for 17 years that uh, it is true that, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So I think we're in, <laughs> this is going to sound really goofy, 
But, but I think we're running the same playbook as George Soros. We're running, George Soros ran and paid for all those color revolutions, right? You know, all over the planet, destroying every, everything, turning these countries into shitholes, trying to do it to Ukraine and all this kind of stuff. And he's trying to do it to Russia. And that's why Russia's pissed. And that's why they're putting their troops on the border with Ukraine. But what I think is going on is that our self-organizing collective of people here in the United States is using the same kind of playbook, the same sorts of mechanisms, because they work, they're social engineering mechanisms, Soros has perfected them, only, and we're doing a color revolution, only we're doing a tricolor revolution, okay? So we're going for the red, white, and blue to have a revolution here that's going to put, so it's just, it's just beautiful, I mean, it is. Well, you're you're not talking about, we're we're not running a revolution to where we have to have civil unrest in the streets and a civil war, we don't want that, I mean, we're trying to avoid that. We don't have to be that stupid. Right. right. We don't have. Right. They're going to do that because we're doing it against them. That's their only. So, OK, so uh, we're dealing with people that are essentially sociopaths and psychopaths. OK. Right. right. Um, and and that is they're sort of like bullies. All right. So they only have they're not very smart. They have a few tricks. They're clever and manipulative. But when it comes to fighting, they don't know how to fight, really. Uh, okay, so they only have these manipulative, sneaky, underhanded kind of tricks. And so if you're aware of their tricks, and you don't fall for them in a fight, um, they essentially always lose because they are so limited. And that's what we're dealing with. There's just a lot of them, and they've been able to squirrel their, their way into power. And they're manipulating our system against us. But as people wake up, they get to the point where they say, okay, I understand we've got a corrupted um, uh, legal system. Okay. And so I will take different tax uh, uh, tracks in trying to get my goal through that legal system. Uh, one thing being that, um, you know, the legal system is captured, but you can still overwhelm their system, use their system against them because it's basically our system. So if, if thousands and not even, it wouldn't even take that. If, in, if hundreds of people in any given state all decided to do pro se lawsuits for their self, you know, no, no attorneys, because that gives you an entirely different view of the legal system. And it draws so much more resources your way, you wouldn't believe. But if you were to file uh, legal suits and you had 100 people all filing on the same subject for, against the same people, um, not a class action, just a hundred individual ones. You're, you're going to draw attorneys for one that will then create class actions, but you're going to just uh, drown the legal system of that county and then ultimately that state, and it will collapse. And, and but they won't, they can't allow it to collapse. So they will accede to your wishes, even though it is a corrupted court and that that judge is corrupt. You will be told to do the stand up thing. And so um, just as we see that they tried to totally shut down the Ghislaine Maxwell thing, but they ended up with the guilty verdict because they had to assuage the, the people's knowledge that she was indeed guilty. They've got to get that out there. And then they're trying to cover it all up like mad, right? So this is the kind of thing that we're dealing with is people that are bullies. If you, if you stand up to them, you find that they don't have a whole lot of... Um, uh, uh, swings in their repertoire, right? They, they only have, they're a one-trick pony, really. Uh, so that's what we've got to deal with. But the problem is, at this moment, is that most people on the planet don't know that we're at war. And it's not just the United States, right? Australia's captured New Zealand. 
France, uh, England, Canada. Uh, you just keep naming the countries all the way. Let, let me let me ask you this: Do you think the deep state that controls America also clo- controls China, and that is why mm-hmm. they're trying to propel us into a war with China? This is all part of the master plan. Exactly so. Exactly so, guy. Um, because the, I've heard. What's your thoughts on the cargo ships? I've you know they're being they're being held out in sea. Uh, I've read a few articles that there could be missiles in the containers. Do you, do you, sure, sure. Do you agree I, I with certainly that? Buy that. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Okay, so there are cargo ships. They're being held offshore. There's any number of reasons that this could be the case, uh, including um, legal and economic reasons, right? So we're at war, but the current resident and uh, the Democrats refuse to deal with that war because they're on the side of the people we're at war with. The Chinese. Right, we, we've been successfully well, infiltrated. Yeah, but beyond that, beyond that. Okay, so to hell with the infiltration. We were attacked with a bioweapon. This is a quiet war. So here's our problem. All right, be careful our, with the words you use here because I want to put this on YouTube. Okay, so our, uh, I understand. So our it's, a, it's an issue of proportion. Okay, so, um, so when... Pearl Harbor was attacked, we get this kind of emotional thing, right? So this is 1941, and this is the attack on on Hawaii and Midway and the Philippines and all of that. In one short day, it started sweeping across the United States from the west to the east coast. By the end of 24 hours later, um, 30% of the population had heard of it in the United States. Two days later, it was 40% and so on, because we didn't have instant communications the way we do now. But it t- took like only a couple of weeks and everybody, we had been attacked. It is though everybody had been punched into the face. Okay, more people have died from this attack by the CCP than died in that attack. And what do we have for emotions relative to the war? That's it. In, in 2020, for COVID, we got no response, no emotional response to the fact that we had been attacked Jeez. deliberately. And you see my point, right? Nobody in our population. So in like a couple of weeks, everybody in the U.S. in 1941 was, was getting ready for war. There were literally old farts out here on the West Coast getting out their world. But, but we also had an identifiable enemy at that time. We know correct, who did it. Correct. It's, all, it's all muddied. It's all terrible now because we don't know. Because we're actually also fighting our own damn governments because they've all been infiltrated. So the infiltration part of it is very key. But another part of it is we don't have that emotional oomph that gets the populace ready for the war. And that's why devolution is so important. Correct. The red pilling of the the, of society. Correct. Because we've got to get that out of this. Okay. And so that is our goal. We want to have everybody in the United States, whether they agree to participate in the war or not, we want to have everybody in the United States discussing the fact we're at war and we've been attacked and we've had hundreds of thousands of people killed throughout throughout the world. Right. They attack the whole world. There's actually, and it'll probably come up again because it's circulating on the internet. There are videos of Chinese people way back in the beginning of this going through stores in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Portland, Seattle, appropriately, because we were the first and and hardest hit here with this. They were going through stores, spraying shit on all the goods in stores. 
And you'd see them on the security cameras. They didn't buy anything. They just took things out of their purses. Mainly they were women and sprayed uh, goods and made sure they wiped all of them. So what was that all about, eh? Right, right. Right. So so this is this is a deliberate attack on many, many, many levels. So I agree with you. The things off the coast, they're holding those for for real good reason. Because we've been attacked, they can be seized. All right. All the goods there can be seized because they were the goods from the country that attacked us. That's the way it goes in war, right? So if uh, if we had Chinese gold and the Chinese attacked us, we'd just seize their gold just to start as, as retaliation. So that kind of thing is going on. Plus, there is the very real potential of nasty things that are stored there uh, in, the, in these containers that can be activated remotely that we don't want. Plus, we also know that there's containers full of our own weapons given to the Taliban that are coming back in order to support the fifth columnists that are coming through the, the southern border. This is how complex this is. So in order to defeat this, at some point, we have to achieve that level of emotional impact where everybody just wakes up every damn morning and just screams. Well, this this can kind of go along with Juan's 81 percent that he always talks about, that the public needs to be pushed <laughs> into the 81 percentile. We're in the high 70s right now, but it says it he says we need millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets, NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. To reach an 81%, does that make sense to you? Sure, sure, certainly Sure, it certainly does. We need that emotional impact in order to get, uh, that emotional level in order to be able to get any kind of uh, motivation out of the social order because we're going to have to change so radically because we have been attacked and we won't ever be going back to the old normal. So the day that they attacked us in in 1941, that old normal that existed prior to that disappeared. Where where do you see us at right now, in your opinion? Where do you think we're at? Uh, I I, I don't feel like we're in the high 70s. I think people are frustrated. And, and things of that nature, but they're not understanding who the who the enemy is. I think people are just like, oh, this sucks. My life sucks. I lost my job. I don't know why. Here's, here's the thing, though. You're correct, okay? And, and Juan's correct. But, but Juan's focusing on the election. Ray Dalio, George Soros, the Rockefellers, they are billionaires. They have all the money they can ever hope to spend. They are also all investing in cryptocurrencies. Yes, even the richest in the world choose to invest in the future through cryptocurrencies. Just as when there's big talk about cryptos being volatile, the latest market dip being permanent, and the government cracking down on crypto and other issues, billionaires are buying in. Why? Because cryptocurrency is the future, and the best time to invest is when there's a dip. The deeper the dip, the higher the gains. So if you want to invest in the future, start now and start with my digital money. 
With my digital money, you don't just get the opportunity to invest. You get the security of knowing you're investing with a U.S.-based company that offers end-to-end service when you want it. So go to MyDigitalMoney.com. He's, he's focusing on 81% relative to the election and talking about um, that aspect of a pathway out of our current situation. So I don't look at it in such a narrow focus, right? Because the the war is much larger than the election. And the election took place within um, a setting of the attack um, and the war. And personally, I think we need to get to the war. And, and as soon as you can get to the war, you can sort of jump past all the issues on the election because people will understand that it's all part and parcel of this whole package of being attacked, right? And then all kinds of things fall into place. Um, it is difficult for people to swallow this pill and to digest it uh, because it means that they have to stand up and recognize that their lives will never, ever be the same. Their children's lives will never be the same. And if they have participated in this to the point of polluting themselves, they're going to start having to worry every single day thereafter. So this is a a huge thing to overcome. I, I, I've said this, uh, uh, Cliff. I've said to people, this is not a war that's just going to be over hip hip hooray and we celebrate. This is going to drag out years, if not decades. Do you think I'm correct in saying that? It, I think at least 18 years. Jeez. At, le- at least 18 years. So we should okay. get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. This is our way of life now for at least two decades. Okay. So I wouldn't put it that way. I would say um, start being inventive because uh, the world has changed around you. You no longer have those supporting systems. They're failing and falling apart by the day. And if there's something that's in there that you like and you need, you're going to have to figure out a way to replace it. This is a, you know, to me, you know, this is, this is war. I know people have to research to actually understand that we are in a war. Um, and, 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 and that's why I make, I do these programs. I want, I want to wake people up. I want them to understand what's happening here because even on the Southern border where I'm at in El Paso, the fentanyl that they're seizing can kill everybody in the United States, five, United States, five times over. That's another way that they are uh, waging war on us is through the Southern border. You want to explain a little bit about that? Well, I mean, all the fentanyl comes from China. They've, they've got it uh, in giant factories. It's being produced by the Shanghai Coalition, mainly in the south. Uh, we would think of it as the southeast part of, of China. Um, and it's uh, intended to come over here uh, up through Mexico, um, occasionally down through Canada, uh, with the intention of polluting the social order. So um, our social order has been under attack since the 50s, all right, uh, by the communists. And the idea is that if you cause the, um, the main culture to degrade itself through uh, drugs, pornography, uh, casual sex, um, uh, abortion, um, uh, splintering of religion. Um, uh, killing uh, the family unit. Killing the family killing unit. family unit and bringing in um, disparate cultures. Multiculturalism is, is horseshit, right? There's no such thing as a multicultural nation that ever arose anywhere under any conditions um, in history. Just never has happened. And so we have this as a, as a theme. Here and that would be part that. of the, like the, the, the dividing us into these groups and subgroups, right, like the LGBTQ, right. alternative lifestyles, BLM, 
getting us all divided it, within our country. Intersectionality, identitarianism, all of that is mind pollution. It's the same mind pollution that the Bolsheviks used on the Russians in order to foment the Russian Revolution that took the Russian people and all the Soviets backwards for and uh, held them there for 70 plus years until they were able to overthrow it. Uh, and so they're trying to do that to us. And Putin's warning is quite accurate, you know, that wokeism and woke language and the redoing of the language is what destroyed Russia, and we must fight it. Well, there's only one way to fight it, and that is through a concentrated, transparent uh, dedication to the propagation of your own culture and the definitive um, control of your own language. So uh, if we do that, we defeat them instantly from that point on, and you just keep spreading it person by person by person, and ultimately you're, you're sure to win, but you just have to keep, uh, keep at it because they're going to be persistent, and that's where the state of the war is now. Now, as soon as people wake up to this, as soon as we get a large mass of people that, that understand the election was stolen, but that was only a tool in an attack on the nation, then we get a different mindset. And you'll see things change very, very, very rapidly uh, in, an, in a very surprising speed. Things will be able to change. But we have to get to the point where we have the attention of all of the people in the United States that we can get to focus in on the fact that we've been attacked and thus we must respond because we are in a war. And if we do things right, if we do things right, you and I, I mean, then we can tell these people that we're in a war but don't freak out, okay? It doesn't mean atomic bombs, doesn't, doesn't mean nuclear weapons or any of that kind of stuff necessarily. We can avoid that by doing things correctly because this is a global situation. And so we can be strategic. We can do things with all of the global population that will mitigate the potential for catastrophic loss of life. But that's what our enemy wants is catastrophic loss of life. And they're doing this. And this is basically a quiet war. I guess we could uh, we could really just call this a quiet war. There's no bombs and guns going off. It's all being done subvertly through invasion, through um, you know the southern border, the cargo ships. They're they're attacking us at all, and this too, right, yep. right, right. And that right there is the big thing to me. I'm like, damn, that's that's going to be the, that's where all the that's where all the cas- most of the casualties are going to come from, and the fentanyl. So we're being attacked on all sides. Right. And there's only one way we get out of this. Uh, We know the solution to this. Uh, The enemy will say that our solution is um, uh, white supremacy, or they'll say our solution is um, uh, Nazism or nationalism. They'll label it with any different number of things, but it is none of those. It is a, um, a return to a central idea of a shared culture okay to an acknowledgement of the fact that we have a culture and that it is this is bullshit that uh you know that um uh whites don't have a culture that there is no culture in the united states we've been exporting that culture for years it was captured by the the um globalists and they've been polluting that culture that we've been exporting to for years so no wonder the rest of the world doesn't like the culture we've been exporting with all of the uh, identitarianism and the wokeism and all of the weird shit that they've been putting out. Yeah. Um, you know, people still like America, but they say, what is this? That's not, you know, what used to be. So, um, uh, we're, and, 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 and they've also that. worked as a, you know, on our school systems, the indoctrination camps. I mean, yeah. they program yeah. kids now to where this cancel culture, this whole thing that's going on, the political correctness, 
it's it's you can't get our you cannot it's almost like almost impossible to wake up our society when they're being bombarded on instagram youtube facebook uh everything's being censored they're being taught a certain thing in school i know liberal i've heard of liberal professors that are teaching this shit in schools yeah Yeah. so here's the thing though guy um see that's actually working for us okay the fact that it's everywhere and it's inundating us okay because uh there's real truisms in universe and, uh, you know, where they say things are darkest before the dawn. Well, I mean, it's a stupid statement, right? <laughs> You're in the middle of the night before the dawn. But it is factually true that there, there are certain cycles of activity and stuff that exist. And so when we have a massive amount of energy being put by uh, one group into a, uh, the attention market that is humanity, because we're all, they're vying for our attention, right? That's all they're doing is trying to get our attention focused on them and their message. When they're doing that with such stridency, uh, it reaches a point to where it starts triggering emotions in us that are antithetical to that message. So you know when you've seen some comedians that are trying for a good joke. You can see them working on it and this kind of stuff, but you just cringe. But they weren't trying to do cringe, right? right. They were trying right. for like embarrassed for them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So you have a sympathetic emotional response to the presentation, not the words, not the joke, the presentation going wrong. Okay, so that's what actually triggers that in you. You see him, you know he wants to get that, that thing and oh almost you know and so you feel bad for him and so you have this sympathetic response but what you're picking up on is it going wonky going pear-shaped okay we're all picking up on that with the globalists and everything they're trying to pump out every time they say anything it's like oh my god you know why don't they just face plant and get it over with right Uh, you know uh, i I think people are really starting to identify the players now we're seeing people like I don't want to say his name, but, you know, it starts with an F, the, the guy, the head of the, uh, let's just say Fauci. You see people like that, and it's like you see the whole narrative falling apart Well, to these people's feet and how desperate they're clinging on, grabbing straws to keep this fucking narrative going. And, and it's not working. You know it's not working. More people are seeing it. We're all starting to openly discuss like, it. Like you said, the comedian trying to land the punchline or the joke, it's looking ridiculous. It looks stupid. It is. It is. And, and, you know, they're, uh, well, you know, you know, comedians who that's their whole, their whole career, you know, is, right. is basically being bad at it. And these people, but you're right. Okay. So once there is, all right. So there is a, a fact about entertainment for humans, right? So whether that entertainment is um, a movie, a book, or anything, when you get into that, in order for you to get involved with it, you have to have a willing suspension of disbelief. Okay, so you have to say to yourself at a low level, I know this is fiction. There's not really Star Wars with Wookiees and all of this kind of thing out there, right? But it's a fun show and you have a willing suspension of disbelief while you're in there. And, And then when it's done, you know that feeling of like, in the movie, the movie's over and you're coming back to reality, that, that sort of weird coming out of the dream state, right? right. That's, what our, that's what our social order is going through now with these people. Uh, we're uh, we're leaving the movie and we're like, okay, coming back to reality. We're shedding, well, even more than that, we are shedding, we are deliberately shedding that willing suspension of disbelief. 
because we that's where the them, casualties are going to come from. And we it was almost them. like a, a hypnosis. Correct. Exactly. It was a hypnosis. We hypnotized ourselves by giving them the benefit of the doubt. So think about that. A willing suspension of disbelief. You have to say to yourself, I know that that's bullshit, but but I'll suspend my my consideration of that at this moment and go along with this stuff. Two weeks to, to stop the curve, right? Yeah. That kind of to flatten the curve. And so we, we had this willing suspension of disbelief that these people engineered out of us in a vast area. They got it out of all the people around us. And so we started thinking, well, maybe there is something there, you know, maybe it really is. So maybe I should shed my disbelief about this. And we went along with it. Now all that's gone. You can only maintain that that willing suspension of disbelief for so long on pandemics. It's 18 months and they've taken us two two months over that. Right. So this is crash hard. So is that why you think do you think now there will be a world event uh, of some kind of a, like a Cuban Missile Crisis? That's what they'll move us into next. OK, so there's OK. So there is a dispute um, between myself and other people about this. When when someone would say uh, uh, Cuban Missile Crises, uh, uh, some people might think of it as you know, people on phones and tenseness and uh, picking up the red phone and all of that kind of thing. Right. And one nation against another. I, I know that we have to reach that level of emotional uh, activity, the Cuban Missile Crisis level of emotional activity, but I'm not sure how it's going to uh, pop out. And so it may, we may have a Cuban Missile Crisis level of uh, activity here by um, any number of strange sorts of, of things where we could have, let me see if I can find something really outrageous in the way. Okay, so let's assume that we um, we're going to get to some kind of a thing where um, we could have a, a Cuban missile crisis that would bring all of the emotional tension and, and do all of this stuff and actually involve no missiles or any real threat. So we could have Joe Biden uh, do a speech and where he's trying to get us all to go to war to the Ukraine. And he could stand up there in his fake president uh, place his three-quarter model, and say all of these words, we're going to war, you know, I've declared war on the Ukraine, on Russia, they've attacked the Ukraine, you know, a false flag kind of a thing, and maybe they would have film from CNN or whatever, it doesn't matter, but we could have that kind of a situation, and then nobody pay attention to Biden, and Biden become extremely strident, and just keep getting worse and worse and worse, and so that basically we would have a Cuban missile crisis between the people of the U.S. and our own government. Uh. So, so it would happen that way. But it would all happen. Wow, that's a different perspective. That's a different way to look at it, right? Because and then we would get this, you know, what's going on, and you know, and he's threatening everybody, and we see the meltdown and and the total breakdown. That level of emotional angst would equal the same thing that we went through in the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we were afraid of being killed, right? Right, right. That makes complete sense to me. And that's like so really. There's so many variables here that yeah. how this can happen. It's just like, but but I think you agree with me that the intensity is going to pick up so much in 2022 that we may hit it probably before summer. Before what do you think? Before summer? Before okay. fall? What no, do you no, no, think? No. Okay, so so my data sets show that we've got a big spike in emotional intensity in the third week of January. There's a bunch of little ones along the way. One one nice one on the seventh, and then another one on like the. 
9th and then the 11th and the 12th. And then we get into the third week in January and we get a big spike that's like double all of those. So if I had to pick in January, I would say that that our emotional um, uh, rise is going to be in the third week greater than any of the others. Now, my data sets don't look way out, but I'm I'm suspecting that January is going to set a trend for the rest of the year. So I suspect that we will be through this huge emotional roller coaster ride for a number of months. Now, okay, so there will come a point at which we reach Juan's 81%, all right? For me, I might phrase it as 30%. So when 30% of our country starts talking to themselves in diners and, and you know, uh, in supermarket lines and stuff about the attack from the CCP and, and the damage to the country and all of this, just openly attacking it, uh, talking about it, um, then I think we will have crossed a significant threshold. And thereafter, things will happen very rapidly because of the nature of the fire uh, thing. So here's the deal. So there's a, the emotions and emotional language run through people in a very specific, predictable way in large mass. All right. And so early on in my work, I stumbled onto the movie theater um, uh, syndrome, basically. Okay. So in a movie theater, it's dark. Everybody's sitting there. The film started. Maybe it was, it was running. Everybody's involved. There's that willing suspension of disbelief. Uh, you're there with your girlfriend, the nice plush seats, you know, you got your snacks, everything's good. And then um, uh, your girlfriend has chosen to wear um, stockings that day in a skirt, right? And, and she's just sitting there and all of a sudden uh, she feels something on the, on the underside of her thigh. And you don't know, she doesn't know what it is, right? And then she feels it again, and she jumps up and she screams, holy, just screams to high, high heaven, right? And she thinks it's a rat. She doesn't know what it is. And maybe it's the guy's foot from under the, it doesn't matter what it actually right, is. Right. She just thinks it is something that it is not. And she screams. Everybody in that theater is going to react in a specific way. And within one minute, everybody will have thought of and probably reacted to the idea that there's a fire. Okay, and so because that's what gets everybody in the theaters is that the fire in a crowded theater, right? We've all got that inculcated in us. It will pop up instantly and people will react to it. And so that's the the kind of thing we're going to get here is that spread of language. And so we will get a sudden movement in the mass of a jolt, a jolt. Well, get a single jolt and then that will cause all the humanity to move. I always thought that last percentage would be like getting to the moon. You're saying it could be a little, it actually could just be a jolt and we get there. Yeah, we know that. Okay, so uh, in the United States, in our first uh, American revolution, because we're in American revolution too, we're in the tricolor revolution here in my way. But in the first American revolution, only 3% of the people thought it was a good idea when we actually went to war. Wow. Right. And so we actually went to war when only 3% of the people thought it was a good idea. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and they and they say maybe it was five percent, but like eighty-five percent of the populace were were for sure Tory supporters and knew we were all going to be killed by the king and by these fierce the 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 fiercest army on the planet. You know, these were the top dog killers on the planet. England had invaded over a hundred and forty countries by the time we went to war with them. And and we didn't we'd never been to war with anybody. We weren't even a country at that stage. And so you can see why eighty-five percent of the populace said, No, no, I ain't gonna go to shoot at no British guy. 
But then the, you know, it built up to the point where there was a massive oppression on everybody. And then that 3% went over to Lexington, Lexington and Concord and an 80 year old man fired a musket, killed a British or, or a British officer and a Prussian officer and the war was on. Wow. Gosh. Eesh. That 80, that 80 year old man, by the way, you can find his history. And so he was out there and he was so wicked in in the war uh in it was another so, so you're saying an 80 year old man was the one that fired the first shot and killed somebody yep he started started wow. the war he killed two officers and he was the one that told everybody don't bother to shoot those guys shoot the officers and this guy was so wicked he stood up there didn't try and hide everybody was amazed and he just sh- stood up there reloaded bear in mind it's an old kind of a musket right and he was so wicked that by accounts he killed 18 that that second day of the war and uh and he got wounded and he got wounded the third day and the fourth day and they finally had to take him off on the fourth day uh all torn up shot up you know is reputed to have been shot 10 times uh he recovered and came back to fight with washington that's incredible (laughs) you know old men get pissed (laughs) yeah yeah they don't deal with any horse shit do they exactly yeah. well you know you're too close to the end you know i'm not gonna put up with that crap yeah that, that's incredible um well i gotta jump on with juan now i just want to sure, say thank sure. you cliff for joining me you've been amazing um juan holds you in high regard uh as i do as many of my audience does i'd love to get you back on in the next month or so if you're up for it sure yeah yeah, yeah. No, no worries david no problem all right and i'll keep in touch with you um i got that iodine and all that stuff i'm drinking that every night um so obviously i'm taking your advice wholeheartedly yeah Yeah. well good deal it'll it'll work for you no worries okay thank you cliff Uh, i'll let you go yep say hi to juan i will later later ray dalio george soros the rockefellers they are billionaires they have all the money they can ever hope to spend they are also all investing in cryptocurrencies yes even the richest in the world choose to invest in the future through cryptocurrencies just as when there's big talk about cryptos being volatile, the latest market dip being permanent, and the government cracking down on crypto and other issues, billionaires are buying in. Why? Because cryptocurrency is the future, and the best time to invest is when there's a dip. The deeper the dip, the higher the gains. So if you want to invest in the future, start now and start with my digital money. With my digital money, you don't just get the opportunity to invest. You get the security of knowing you're investing with a U.S.-based company that offers end-to-end service when you want it. So go to MyDigitalMoney.com.